Good day, ladies and gentlemen and children of all ages. This is Robert Itis with Plants and Their Friends. And we are recording from the caboose on Main Street, WART 95.5 on your FM dial. And today I have Alfie Booth with me. Yes, and I'm Alfie. I'm the unofficial town gardener. For Marshall. For Marshall. Yeah, we do... Spread out into Madison County. But I can't go any further. <laughs> yeah. Alfie, Alfie needs help every once in a while yeah. with transportation, water, yeah. storage. So we'll talk all about all that Very stuff. Very good. Okay, Alfie, how did you get to Marshall? What was your education? Well, like? I came here after I retired. I, had, um, I was the first perennial gardener in Asheville starting in the in the mid eighties and Jack Young's nursery was interested in perennials and so we were the first people to deal with the perennials in in Asheville. I mean there wasn't even a black eyed Susan around. The shrubbery was very nice. I noticed when when I came to town that the City engineers and highway engineers had done excellent shrubbery work, but there were just no flowers. So, the whole since the 80s, I've been trying to get flowers into this area, and it seems to be working out. Um, at that point, people considered flowers in the front yard to be a little tacky, but I've always been on the edge of being tacky. Well, great. Uh, where'd you get your education? Uh, well, I went to University of Southern Mississippi, and I left there and switched to horticulture in a junior college in New Orleans, uh, fine arts and horticulture. And uh, I started gardening and laying brick in New Orleans. I did for a dozen years, and my favorite was the court courtyards and the the wrought iron and the brick, I'm a bricklayer, and the plants just all went real well together. Um, yeah. Then, because of the heat, I moved on up here in the mid-80s. Okay, so Marshall got you because of the heat of New Orleans. Right. Actually, I went to Asheville first. Asheville first. And I've been here seven, eight, nine years, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but after the first year, I got my feet on the ground, and I... I just started walking up and down the street 
doing a little maintenance and what uh, in the beds that were here, and so I um, I just increased doing that every year, and I'm with the Presbyterian Church and we do a nice bed of uh, either flowers or vegetables in the front, and it's for neighbors in need, and. I do most of the planters along the street, and anywhere I can find a place to garden uh -huh. has been good for me, and for here for Marshall, it's good for everybody in Marshall. So tell us about the Master Gardener program. Uh, actually, I was in the very first class of Master Gardeners in Asheville, and the first year we couldn't get enough people we needed seven people to sign up for the class. We couldn't get it. So the next year we had exactly seven. And now I think you have to get on a list yeah. to get it. Yeah. Mark Williams works with them a lot. Yeah. So yeah. that program has really taken off and done well. Yeah. And we would recommend that for any yeah. anybody out there yeah. uh, that would want to... Uh, move up one step right at right. least uh, and i had just moved here from uh two temperate zones away deep south and um i all even the pine trees were different up here so i had to start over well the horticulture class up here helped i got another associate degree and uh the master gardener program was good for me because after the classes, we would give 30 hours to answering a phone to answer questions. And that was why they started the Master Gardener program, because um, the county agents were having to answer the same old questions over and over. So the Master Gardeners would get their schooling, and then they would give back 30 hours on, the, on the answering the phone. And with the questions that people would call in, that's where I got my bulk of information on plants up here in this zone. Right. And uh, bagworm. I never heard of bagworm. And <laughs> that year we had a lot of questions on it, so I learned it. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, uh, an interesting uh, aspect of, yeah. uh, of, of this area. Things I'd never yeah. seen before, but I right. did have a good foundation, so it was easy to... Right. And I like it. Right. When you like something, you learn it. Right. Okay. So uh, we want to encourage anybody out there, uh, young or old, uh, that the Master Gardener program uh, that's around is excellent and uh, needs to be supported. Uh, and so we're throwing that out there to our listeners. Uh, well, gar uh, gardeners like to talk to each other. Yeah. So get some good gardening friends, and you'll learn a bunch. Yeah, and I think that uh, you know my uh, my time up at the library uh -huh, uh, uh -huh. with those people uh, is a good way. There's a bunch of master gardeners up there. I yes. think too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there's lots of opportunities. Yeah. There. It's not it's around. Yeah, it's around is exactly right. Um, so coming out uh, from these programs from, from Asheville, coming into Marshall, um, 
how did you, uh, how was your philosophy uh, strengthened at that point? Uh, and what, well, what, 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 what does that mean to you? Well, the main thing is, well, I had a good foundation, and my main philosophy was to get more plants out visible on the street to encourage people to do planting at their own home. Uh, they can see, well, Marshall itself has the world's worst soil, and I can talk about that later, but uh, if they can look and see beautiful zinnias and such coming out of the cracks in this concrete here in Marshall, and this town has way too much concrete in ratio to plants, so if they can see what we're doing in the world's worst planting soil, then they'll feel more confident to go to their home and fiddle around. And you can, there are a lot of, a lot of shortcuts. So you don't do high maintenance. You're not a slave to the garden. You get to spend most of your time enjoying it. Some plants are very easy for that. I find the um, zinnia and the marigolds to be about the toughest street tree, uh, street plants that I've run into. So, uh, why do you think that is? Is it the car pollution? Well, uh, no. Well, for one thing, our our pH here in Marshall. I did some soil tests, um, and he comes out five two. In my fifty years of gardening, I had never seen a pH that. That acidic. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's uh, part, I think, of our new cycle to go ahead and produce uh, amended soil when we plant. Yeah. That yeah. Uh, uh, to It'll assume make it that, easier on you. Yeah. To assume that the soil is a good soil is not necessarily good for the right. plant. Right. And, and we want to uh, uh, acknowledge... Uh, Dr. Elaine Ingham, uh, SoilFoodWeb.com. Uh, uh, she uh, was a uh, University of Oregon professor and wrote uh, the uh, bi- uh, the primer on uh, the uh, USDA. Uh, primer on um, on soils, uh, and from her I've learned to uh, look at composted material, either bacteria, which comes through the stomach of something, or fungal, which are the leaves and the bark. And if we're taking forest plants. We're not using the plants that the vegetables are using. Right, right. In different soils. Uh, this is not usually taught uh, too many places, but right. uh, you need to have a forest soil. It's hard to come by commercially. It's best to make it yourself. So how would you do that? You would go, uh, the hardest part is the fungal part. Right, and, uh, and your bacteria is the backbone of all life. Yeah. Um, Everything it, starts from bacteria. Yeah, and so for the fungal, the bacteria, we can go 
to even something like Lowe's or our hardware stores and get some organic uh, manure. That's not a hard one. That's an easy one. I have better. You can go to southern states or some place that sells animal feed, and you can buy cottonseed meal, which I use for my composting in the city because there's always somebody that's worried about rats or, or smell or something. So the cottonseed meal comes in a 50-pound bag um, and real cheap. You'll pay $10 for 5 pounds, but you'll only pay 20 for 50. Uh, and now it's clean. It's in the bag. You don't need a truckload of manure because the cottonseed meal, most of your manures run 2,5 in nitrogen, but the cottonseed meal runs 7. So we're looking two or three times as rich as manure, which makes sense, you know. If you feed a horse alfalfa, of course the manure will be good, but the horse is already up to a thousand pounds. He's using a lot of the good stuff in the alfalfa. You're getting what's left over. So if you buy the alfalfa or the cottonseed meal, you're getting it before the animals pass it passes through their stomach and gets used. Yeah. So Well um, that's the easy way, yeah. uh, uh the manure part. Uh, or, I'm or, in or, town. I'm in town. I can't yeah. do sixteen yards of compost, which I have done and Yeah. But the other thing is that um uh not necessarily in town, but if you're out and you have some land and there are trees on the land, you can take the bark, like when you're going to uh cut up firewood. A lot of times the bark'll come off. Right. And you can take that bark and put all of the bark together in a pile. Different trees, different yeah, kinds of bark. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Okay. And that'll break Except black walnut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't really want to do black walnut. But that will take you down to a um a, when it breaks down and is composted to something that looks like coffee grounds. Yeah. Real dark. Leaf mold, bark real mold. dark. Yeah. And then then you can um if you wanted, uh, add some, you know, as you collect your leaves. We, we've talked about gorilla, uh, gorilla uh, composting uh, here uh, before. Uh, that uh, in Asheville, when you see people put these uh, big uh, leaf bags uh, between uh, the curb and the sidewalk, that's anybody can take that. That's yeah, yeah. public space. And so. Uh, you just help the city uh, from uh, from having to burn a lot of gasoline, and you take that back to your farm, all that leaf, right? And you right. and you and you uh, get a uh, um, a pallets and put uh, four pallets together and string them up and throw all your leaves in there and let them compost out, and then you mix them with the bark, and then you have a forest soil. Obviously, we're going to add some of uh, yes. the bacteria with now, it. Now, um, well, we would have your bacteria right there. Yeah. So and we got... You've uh, got everything you need. Right. Uh, except it'll be low on nitrogen. The cottonseed meal will have your nitrogen. Easy to do. Or, yeah. you know, if you're not in a hurry, let the forest soil do what it's done for millions of years. Yeah, exactly. Now, if you need it for that spring... 
you get in there and compost it with a little nitrogen and you, and turn it often. That's the key to a 14-day compost. That's the Rodell method. Yeah, 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 yeah. We want to make sure uh, that here we've been talking about uh, permaculture principles. Right. And we want to build up the soil. We don't want to break the soil. Right. Because there's all kinds of communities down there, and then you have to add stuff back. But as you build up the soil, uh, you're, you're having these little communities still yeah. maintain yeah. and grow yeah. and grow. So that's, that, that's the idea uh, behind uh, 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 the permaculture right. of, uh, of layering uh, uh, the sheet mulch. Uh, uh, theory, it's, it's called. And you really should be doing next year's compost now. Exactly. And you don't have to be in a hurry. You don't have to get out there and turn it maybe once. And the turning puts the oxygen in for the bacteria. Yeah. So we're okay with uh, with all of that. And uh, we, uh, we want to uh, uh, continue your, uh, your work. Um, we just visited uh, one of your projects, the park. The park, yeah. The, Let's talk the, about that for a before, little while. I've been here about seven, eight, nine years. Before I came, a group of ladies had gotten together and um, planted a good bit of plantings in the park, a butterfly garden. And then over the years, you know, your normal maintenance is not being taken care of. Um so, so let's tell everybody where the uh, the park is. Yeah, the park's on the south end of um, of um, Main Street. Main Street. And that cross street that goes up there. Um, I don't know the name of it. Okay. There are a few houses with some nice people and their children up there. Good it's 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 kind of across uh, diagonally across from the depot. Yes. Yeah. <coughs> and uh, it has um, two entrances. Uh, you can make a turnaround. Yeah, and a gazebo in there and all kinds of the raised, raised beds. boxes. Uh, I was hoping to get some gardeners in to use up the boxes this year, but uh, I didn't get to speak to many people. And we had a couple last year that did real well with their vegetables in there. But they've moved on out to their land. And so next year, you need some planting space. Come to the park. If you're in town. If you're in town. Yeah. Uh, um, and we want to also mention something right now uh, that um, uh, we did some um, uh, dumpster diving before it hit the dumpster. Uh, and we got some tomato plants that just have to be planted deeper. And they're in good shape, but they're still in the cell packs. Yeah. So we, uh, they have to uh, uh, get... Uh, Either repotted into a container, or the best thing is to put it in the ground. Yeah, and you probably would want to root prune. Within root pruning, don't go overboard on it, but just take a little pinch of the most crowded roots and just pinch that out, and then the plants won't continue to grow in a circle. You want them to spread out. So this is uh, available to anybody who's hearing us, who has been so busy, caught up in the, uh, the may, may we say, their plants. yeah, uh, the rat race, uh, 
and um, uh, didn't have time to put tomatoes in. Well, we have a, a bunch of them uh, for you to uh, come by and uh, either see Alfie at one of the, his project sites, or I guess it would be okay to take a couple of the tomato plants. Yes, yes. We'll, yeah, they're right we'll by the gazebo. You can see them, but I'm yeah. usually there every day, but on anywhere from two to four hours. And it'll be in the cool of the day that I'll be there. So you can look for me in the cool of the day. Yeah, uh, which is... Uh, or take one. They'll be out where you can see them. Take yeah, one yeah. So uh, we're we're going to uh, really get into that. Uh, and, and these are the last tomatoes that will be available because the nurseries, uh, they'll have a lot of annuals that are getting a little spindly and the tomatoes are getting a little root bound. So they dump all of that stuff so they can come in with other plants. They don't want to be taking care of plants that they're not going to sell, so they dump them. Uh, so they won't be any more available, and now's the time to get them and strike while the iron is hot. Okay. So we're now um, going to uh, talk about uh, the island. Yeah. So uh, for many years, there's been a little garden there. A number of people have had plants there. And uh, I think the, the last flood uh, took a lot out. Yes, even you had brought me some beech trees, and I put a couple on the island, and they just floated away. And these big, huge trees floated in, and the island was covered from huge trees from upriver. So the, the the water's come up several times since I've been here. And it's I'm surprised that the island does as well as it does. But. Yeah. So uh, we have a situation where we'll probably put some of the tomatoes into uh, uh, the garden plot there and uh, uh, give that away to... Uh, uh, some of the helping hands that are yes. Uh, what's the name of that uh, group that you you mentioned that you you were growing for? Um, that feeds people that give food away. At the what? They give food away. Oh, neighbors in need. Neighbors yes. in need. When, yeah. When I have extra okra squash, in the church, we try to raise some stuff. Um, so it all goes, all your excess will go to neighbors in need. Okay, so now which church is this we're going to talk about? Uh, this is a Presbyterian. I'm a member right here in the south side of uh, Marshall. Okay. And they're very animal and plant oriented. Right. So, um, female and, minister. Right. And a female minister, wonderful lady. Right. Yes. But we are also doing what we can for neighbors in need. So we are one of their sponsors, and everybody is a sponsor. So um, if you raise extra vegetables, don't worry about it. If you got squash and your neighbors don't want any more, bring them on down to neighbors in need. Okay. So that um, is uh, taking us... Uh, pretty close to, to to half of the show. Um, we, we've got a couple of more things to talk about. Uh, what what do you see 
happening uh, in Marshall uh, with your help? Uh, with a lot more help. flowers. With my help, I hope to put more smiles on people's faces. I want them to see that concrete does not need to rule our environment. And the more, it's been proven that green trees, grass, all these, and flowers improve everybody's individual character. It makes them a little bit more relaxed and they found that the crime rate goes down the more plants are planted in the city. So that, there you go, right there. Okay. So there's uh, a couple of um, things we want to talk about. Let's talk about the depot. Okay. Yeah, the depot um, was one of the first little projects. Right, that was this group of ladies that did the butterfly garden in the park. Uh-huh. And the depot was planted. These plantings were done very well and professional. And when I came here, I used to do a little maintenance on it, which mainly consists of dividing the plants that are, need to be spread out. But there is a lady that takes care of that now, and I don't have to work, walk quite as far. I live on the north end of town, and every day I come to the south, and the depot was another block away, and that was the bridge too far. Well, there you go. And so we have uh, some people now taking care of it. That seems to be, and I haven't even met them yet. But when you're gardening, you pretty much stay in your own garden. Yeah, but we would like to uh, give a shout-out to these oh, people. Oh, yes. If, if you're listening and you're taking care of the depot, please come and meet me, and uh, we'll have a good time. Okay, so the depot was kind of the beginning place. That, yeah, and I think it was the same group of ladies. Okay, and you know any of their names? Uh, I kind of suspected Betty Hurst was in there on okay. the beginning, but I don't, uh, it was before I came, and I got you. it took me five years to learn anybody's name, so. <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll have to get Betty Hurst uh, on the air here to, if was, she was one of the ones. Yeah, if she and was And if you one. were one of the ones and not getting mentioned, please forgive me. Yeah, and, and, and uh, contact us and we'll get the story straight. We can always come but back. But it's a very, very well done garden. And the only maintenance is needed is when it overgrows. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, weed time. Uh, yeah, they... They knew what plants to put next to each other, which ones will crowd out, and which ones need special needs. They are all taken care of. And so the gardens, a well-done garden needs very little maintenance once it gets going. Yeah. Um, now, we want to also, at this point, uh, uh, indicate that in a garden... There are opportunities to uh, use Mother Nature in a way where she's providing us with sustenance called weeds. The weeds that come to mind right away in the wintertime is chickweed. Beautiful chickweed. Yeah, and the other one that I like is dandelion. So both of those 
uh, chickweed pesto in the wintertime when basil's not around is a great alternative. Uh, and now, in, um, or in the beginning of the, the springtime when the dandelion leaves come up, to put those into your, purposes. into your salads yeah. or on your sandwiches um, to, uh, or in stir-fries. Yeah, uh, we, we have uh, two of the real good edible. Um, one's the Yellow Dock, and I don't know the name of the other one, but I do know that we have two edibles at least. And there are other dandelions, too. It's a large family. But I think they're all healthy. And yeah, nice looking plant. So is that plantain? I really like that yeah. plantain. Plantain, plantains. Yeah, yeah uh, and uh, the the natives called it uh, um, where white men walked because <laughs> the seeds would get in the pants in, in the shoes, uh-huh. and wherever they walked, plantain would come up because it's a European plant. It's not uh, native to America. It's a this beautiful is. plant, though. Yes, it is, and uh, uh, the the new diet that we're going to have to really consider seriously uh, is going to have to include wild uh, weeds every single day, mushrooms, nuts, fruit, stuff that, you know, has been on the periphery of a diet. Right. Yeah, it, it's not the the main meat and potatoes right, kind right, of thing, right. but uh, but that's got to change. Yeah, uh, if if uh, if you continue to eat the way uh, the advertisers want you to eat, you'll die. And and there are some very successful gardens where they incorporate the the weeds. Maybe they'll get their own little plot in the middle of the garden. But the edge of the garden, they leave the weeds. And, um, and we don't need to be as afraid of the weeds as, as we think we are. Like all of the spring plants you were mentioning, and there's so many of them that, that flower, have these little small flowers. I love that blue one that has the little eye in the center. And, and they grow like a ground cover. It's ground ivy. Yes. Ground ivy. Beautiful, yes. Beautiful. And very medicinal. Yeah, it is also edible, but it doesn't have a great taste. Okay, <laughs> uh, it, but it is uh, also um, uh, locally called Creeping Charlie, and uh, it does take over. You need to really manage that one well. But most of the spring weeds, when it gets warmer, say by June, they're disappearing. They are, and so you don't need to weed them. Uh, you're not going to have too much trouble. You can plant right around them if you don't have time to weed. But another thing on the weeding is think of your scissors more. Uh, right now, my weeding I'm doing now, I've got some stuff eight inches high and weedy. But most of them are annual, and you clip it down close to the surface. You can just run through with your scissors, and you've done your weeding. One-tenth of the time of pulling them, shaking the dirt off and such. But definitely save all your weeds for your composting. Exactly. If if your compost is not going to get up to 160, yes, you might have some weed seeds in the compost. But you can bet those same weed seeds are in the garden already. So, use your weeds. Yeah, um, 
that uh, 160 that you mentioned, some people might go, what is he talking about? But well, oh. that's the heat that a compost pile, now it's re- sometimes it's very hard to believe if you just take all of this garbage and you put it together, you in the center of that, it's going to be 160 degrees. Yes, and if it gets a little oxygen. Yeah, and, and you don't want to go pushing your hand in there. Uh, <laughs> oh, it'll smoke. Oh, it'll smoke. Yeah. That's a good pile. Yeah, and so uh, uh, what, what that 160 does is when you get there is that that kills out the seeds. Yes. Majority. Except Majority. what's really interesting is some of the um, the seeds and toxins we want to, pathogens we want to get up to 160 to kill them. Now, the, sub, the ones that are beneficial to the soil can take it. If your compost pile goes over 160, you'll get rid of the pathogen, but you won't harm the bacteria that's needed in the soil. And your compost pile, if you got it with a lot of diversity, you got plants from every order and group of plants, you will have a cure for all of the pathogens. And even that, um, even that, the roots from the black walnut uh, that will kill plants within two feet of the root. Uh, if, if that is in the compost pile and your compost pile doesn't get hot enough, it will still be there. But there is, there's so many thousands of different kinds of bacteria in your pile. But there's one that will, when it notices a black walnut, it will multiply and it will neutralize the black walnut. So yeah. all your answers are in your pile. Yeah. And um, uh, this uh, brings up a, a question that may be uh, one of the students out there um, would like to uh, look into in, in, in one of their class projects. Uh, different plants have different mechanisms yeah. for different bugs that would come along and yeah, nibble on them. Yeah. And um, kind of what you're, uh, or what I took away from what you just said, is each one of those has a little different yeah. thing, but when you put them all in the pile, then you got what all of the plants have. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So that's uh, kind of interesting, and it would be a great science project yeah. to, to look into that. Uh, and I love the uh, science of plants, but you actually don't need it. The Amish people don't need it. Uh, they don't need their science because they've been doing it right all along. Uh-huh. Well, let's uh, not uh, confuse that term, though. Uh, but the Amish do have a great uh, farming practices. Yeah. Uh, and I presume that's what you're talking yes. about. Yes. Yes. They're... They are the first organics in America, for sure. So let's um, let everybody know that this is Robert Itis with Plants and Their Friends on WART, 95.5 on your FM dial, taping from the caboose in downtown Marshall with Alfie Booth, and this will get aired... 
Saturday at 10 and Tuesday at 8. So uh, uh, if you're tuned into those two times, or you can go to uh, my website, www.ncgoldenseal.com, and there's a podcast. And you just need to give us, you know, 15, two weeks or so to get it from the studio archives into our podcast archives. Right. And then you'll be able to hear these these stories uh, anytime you want. And all the gardeners need to meet each other and start talking. So uh, that would be uh, interesting. Um, I guess the best time to propose to do that would be in January when everybody's looking at seed books. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, let's uh, we'll think about that because everybody uh, usually gardening time says, oh, I can't get together. Yeah, I got, I got right. too much we watering. Yeah. All the stuff that they have to do. So um, we're going to redirect our, uh, our uh, end of this program to some interesting aspects of your gardening experience here uh, in, um, in Marshall. Uh, and we would like uh, anybody who's listening uh, who might have an extra uh, shed that um, they're going to move and they don't want to take the shed and they want to donate it to Alfie and, and the park. Right. Uh, that would be great. Right. Uh, we, we, we are hoping the city is going to help out a little bit, but... You know, we can also uh, ask our friends to help if they have something that they're not using right. that we could put into good use. And the church gives me a, a certain amount of space, but um, I could use more. Yeah, uh, 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 tools to make sure that they're uh, out of the weather right. and safe. Right. And so, I know where they are. <laughs> yeah. Those are really important aspects. So it doesn't have to be a big shed. No. It, it just uh, needs to be something uh, that... You put can, your tools and maybe a couple of 50-pound sacks of stuff. Yeah, uh, just to keep it out of the weather and to keep it safe and secure. So we're, we're asking... I, I don't normally ask my, my visitors to... Uh, do much of anything except uh, learn and listen. But here's a, a, an opportunity to put um, into practice uh, being a uh, good steward of the land, helping a, a, a fellow gardener, and uh, uh, beautifying uh, downtown right. Marshall. And uh, we really need uh, a lot of the things we've been throwing away for example your your grass clippings we've been throwing that away for 50 years and the grass clippings there again uh they're just about as good as the cottonseed meal they're several times richer than your good manures right and we've been throwing it away from the years so, so you can see why our environment has been suffering because we haven't been letting things go back naturally so now we've got to get into high gear 
and save your clippings and your weeds. Don't throw a thing away. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, the the main purpose uh, for me to get into composting was a stat that's still out there. Forty <laughs> percent of everything you bring into your home, you throw away and you don't eat. Forty percent. That is over a year a lot of food and if you uh don't eat it is an opportunity to compost it yes we just want people to be aware that a leaf compost which is totally open is different than a food compost which in my farm is closed so that the animals can't get into it. Right. And and, and I don't know anyone who uses meat in their uh, compost pile because that's that's definitely will attract. But who knows, maybe it has a good home for pathogens. Um, there's a, a lot that we're uh, moving forward with in, in learning about. Oh, stuff. that's... We've yeah. only scratched the surface. Yeah. I know a tremendous amount of stuff about plants, but I'm just starting. And and another uh, item that we've talked about on this show uh, comes from a, a study uh, on uh, soil fertility in the United States from 1950 to present. And uh, our predecessors should be ashamed. Yes. It, they, they are not good stewards. So those people who are saying that they're good stewards of the earth, they need to look at the soil fertility, number one. Right. And, 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 and when we were in the 50s, we were in the age of science, was curing everything, and uh, we were all excited about chemistry. So we sterilized our hospitals and our Everything we could sterilize, we sprayed something on it to kill it. Well, this stuff kills the bacteria, too. Right, right. So that's, uh, we're, we're just starting to learn some of these things, like in our gut, if we take antibiotics, we've got to go and put probiotics right. back. Because it's a shotgun cure that's going to kill everything around the pathogen. And that's not what we really want no, to do. We really good. want to zero in, find out what yeah. what that one situation is that we can control and 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 then go for that and not deal with everybody else. And it can be done. It just takes a little more research. And time, usually. Uh, usually time, which also could be money. But in the long run, Instead of, if you have a system of composting where this happens on a yearly basis, you're going to have good compost. Yes. Even if you go to the theory that the middle of the compost uh-huh. is really what's done, you can take the outside and recompost it. Yeah. And and, and put or it into a second pile. Pa- yeah, or, t- uh, or after you take the middle out. Turn right. that pile and, and just keep working it. Uh, the, the idea that we need to go out and purchase fertilizers every year for our annuals and, let's face it, for our uh, perennials too sometimes, 
is the wrong way to go. It definitely is. And the chemicals are, most of the fertilizers and things are salt-based. They're not table salt, but it's a different family of salt. But they still will damage plants and bacteria. So when you use a chemical fertilizer, you're getting rid of your bacteria once again. But the people that came up with this didn't realize what bacteria did. So, um, yeah, we don't want to put a onus on them and, and, and guilt them out. But we got to recognize that this is true, right. and we have to start doing actions that... And now I, I will, if I buy a, a plant from the nursery, I know what soil is in. It's not soil. It's peat moss and vermiculite and stuff. And if it needs a little nurturing, I will give it a shot of miracle Grow when I get it home. Mm. And then, because there's no bacteria there to kill. But then... You start taking care of the bacteria, and the bacteria will feed your plants. Okay, I just got to uh, say uh, that I am not a fan <laughs> of miracle Grow anytime, anyway. If that company went out of business, I'd be very, very happy. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Again, uh, we've mentioned on this show that World War I, 9, 1911 to eighteen. We were producing poisonous gases to kill humans. It was outlawed. And those same companies that design gases to kill humans are now the people in charge of our agrochemicals. Yes. And our pharmaceuticals. And they got well taken care of. And they still keep killing Yes. The bacteria and the fungi and things that we don't want to go in there and just do a blanket. Well, and and, uh, and after World War II, we had a lot of unexploded munitions that needed to be gotten rid of. And that's where Monsanto and others, I imagine, started coming in uh, and using the gunpowder as the basis for their fertilizer. And I know there's uh, the Texas City fire, uh, which wiped out Texas City, was caused by Monsanto bringing in a load of this fertilizer. It's its fertilizer. And it got too hot in the ship, and the ship blew up, and it destroyed everything within 10 miles. So, and the reason they put bed liners in trucks now, that plastic bed liner, because... People using the chemical fertilizer throw a 50-pound bag in there. Some would spill. And a few weeks later, you had a hole in your truck. It would eat right through the metal. So here's something that burns, explodes, and eats through metal. You want to put that in the ground? Exactly. And and that just leads us to the next aspect of... uh, 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 the Roundup, Ready Roundup, people are still using Boy, they it. lied to us. They the, lied to us. They're, and, they're, and they're paying. Their one guy in California got millions of dollars because uh, of uh, the Ready Roundup. And yet, I still see it. Oh, you people will. People with, with containers and, and sprayers and right. going out there uh, killing weeds. I mean, 
But How they, nuts? here's the thing. If you had the, the terrible fertilizers, I mean the chemicals, didn't get taken off the shelf when something replaced it. It's like they're grandfathered in. Like on your herbicides, you've got crossbow, um, you've got mar- marathon. There are all the chemical fertilizers, and they, they are the worst. They, I believe they are worse than Roundup. And in the beginning, I believed what Roundup said, that it was totally inert after it hit the ground. Well, we find out now that's not true. But the other is still worse, and it's in your hardware store and in your garden centers too. So um, just go back to your leaves and grass clippings. <laughs> yeah. The, the, uh, the uh, chemical side of our lives has gotten out of control. And to bring it back into balance... We're going to have to do some major work here. This is not easy. And one of the things that I'd like to bring up right now is another topic that uh, plants and their friends are pretty adamant about is that we have to harvest rainwater. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous to think yeah. that this thing's going to just come down all the time when we want it. Yeah. You know, we need to harvest it when it does come down. And use it when it's not coming down. How simple is that? Our occupiers are becoming depleted. That old Gala one, I think, only has about another 25 years, and it takes care of three or four states. So what are they going to do? Oklahoma and Texas? What's going to happen when those go empty? Yeah, I mean, even um, uh, I'm sitting here. You all... Probably know that I went out to California to uh, Joshua Tree and uh, um, created uh, a strain of uh, medical cannabis out there. And so uh, I, when I hear the words Joshua Tree, my ears pick up. This spring they had nine <laughs> inches of water. And there's not a gutter. There's not a rain barrel in the whole town. And that's not only Joshua Tree. All of the other ones up and down are absolutely the same. It is, I think, almost criminal for us not to harvest rainwater. It's just as bad as the grass clippings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We thought we got so much of this, we don't need it. Well, we're running out of peat moss now. So that's why they're going to that bark. The bark is fresh. The peat moss is a million years old, but the bark is fresh, and I think it has toxics in it. I have, on two years, I ruined a lot of my seedlings that I was trying to sprout because I was using the, the potting soil from out of the bag, and it was bark. Yeah, well, that's... Ground up bark, sawdust, and I lost all my seedlings. That That's uh, uh, just a sad situation uh but we have to come back to the fact that we didn't need to go there right we needed to go into the trays and then when you went into that bark with a big plant it would it would happen definitely yeah so we're on learning curves also yes uh and and uh and our scientists you know i uh our scientists are going to the companies that will pay them a decent salary there's not, 
your home gardener does the most experimenting than all of the colleges and um, research centers. It's the home gardener that comes up with the new innovations because if you're farming, you've got to get a cash crop in. The last thing you want to do is experiment. So it's your home gardeners who don't have to depend on it cash crop. They've got the time and the interest to find out these little shortcuts and help us make up for what we've lost. Yeah. And I just wanted to say, uh, you don't mind my giving out your telephone number to no, these people. No, not at all. So if you want to contact Alfie, uh, 828-243-3711. And we'll repeat that in a couple of minutes if you don't have a paper and pencil. We'll ask you to go get that. Um, and um, uh, we're uh, coming uh, close to near the end of our hour here. <laughs> <laughs> and the end of planting season. So I know what I'll be doing this afternoon. I'm yeah. actually transplanting a lot. It's been great with the cloudy weather. That's the time to transplant. But if you are going to transplant, you need to get that plant out of the ground and immediately into a wet plastic sack. And you keep it there until you're ready to plant it. Now, if it's a sunny day when you put your plant out, come back with a stake and another plastic bag over it for a day or so. Hopefully, it'll get cloudy. You lift it off. But if you use this moist plastic, you can transplant in August and never have it droop. So, wow. that's that. There's a little side tip uh, for listening to the right. program today right. that you weren't going to get, you didn't think. But here we are. Uh, yeah, there are so many different ways of uh, slicing this pie. Yes, uh, spray your foliage. Uh, your foliage takes in the water immediately where your roots take a few hours to do it. You could dig two plants, put one in a bucket of water, one in wet plastic. The one in the bucket of water will droop. The plastic won't. There you go. Uh, and that is tough. I mean, obviously, some of this you've learned down in New Orleans, where yeah. it was a lot hotter than <laughs> it is up here. So we just want to... I found a good good reason to use plastic. <laughs> yeah, which um, does have some benefits. However, the new uh, uh, plastic that I am excited about is hemp plastic and why not why why we waited so long for alternatives yeah uh hemp plastic really has some some real benefits whereas you don't want to eat hemp under no circumstances do you want to eat hemp and do not believe these hemp cbd uh commercials that is just trying to separate you from your money yeah uh, uh it's fake medicine and uh we uh we're pretty uh, strong on that uh, on this station. Uh, it makes great fabric and rope and things like that. Thomas Jefferson encouraged people to plant hemp. And uh, Betsy was, Ross, yeah, flag uh, uh, came from it. The um, uh, the, uh, the Const uh, Constitution was written on hemp paper. Yeah, uh, both Jefferson and uh, Washington grew hemp. Yeah. And it's a so, nice fabric. Yeah. And, and so when they lied to us in 1938 that it was the same as marijuana, 
That's the first lie. Yes. And then uh, all of a sudden, um, World War II comes along and bang. Oh, we got to grow hemp for rope. So hemp for victory is hemp. Yeah. Then the war's over. Oh, it's illegal again. Right. And, and, and now we got it legal, but there's so many hoops, and the farmers have to pay out so much money that uh, it's really one of the biggest boondoggle administrative creations that has ever happened, and we can thank Mitch McConnell and all of the <laughs> hemp guys for the lies and the fact that McConnell still thinks that marijuana has no medical value, even though it's been proven yeah. to have great medical value, especially for our army troops that are coming home with uh, a PTSD. Uh, so McConnell is saying, oh, we want you to go fight and get killed, but if you come home, we don't want to give you any medicine, right. except Oxycontin, which will yes. get you really uh, uh, in, on a downward slide. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So uh, we are uh, pretty strong on this, and uh, it's, it's a new turning. We you have know, to turn. Another thing that with the regular marijuana and the hemp marijuana got classed into this too and made illegal, but... Um, out west we did the same typical thing of inviting foreigners in to do our slave labor and then when we get when we hit bad economic times we want to get rid of the immigrants so what I had read that out west okay wait a second we're, we're not only out of time but we're getting out of our subject area okay, okay. okay. so we're going to bring it back this is Robert Itis, Plants and Their Friends. I want to thank Alfie Booth for coming on and sharing Love his it. wisdom. And uh, everybody, have a great day. Friends of plants. We're all friends of plants. Bye, y'all. <laughs> Bahujo <laughs> Bahujo ne he on